The content provided in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. We are not making recommendations, nor are we providing financial analysis of any kind. We are self-proclaimed morons and should not be trusted with your investments. Always conduct your own research and consult with a qualified financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Welcome to the show where the game is on. Chris Calvin now and George Howell are going strong. Zach and Liz, we're in it, so win it every day. We're gonna keep you informed so you don't miss a play. Hey, stock gamblers, welcome to the show. We are in it to win it every day. <laughs> hey, how's it going, everybody? From Wallingford, Pennsylvania, I'm Chris Carbonara. And from Hershey, Pennsylvania, I am George Howell. What is up? Wow, it's been a um, been an interesting week. Weather's gotten colder. It's getting back to that that chill. Uh, Saw the season premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Loved it. Um, got a new toy for my birthday, my boss synth pedal. I was playing around with that the last couple of days. I love that. Boss. It's boss. It's very boss. It's kind of cool because it's it's obviously if a synth pedal makes it your guitar sound like a synth. But the cool part that feature this has is you can actually have an under like a, a synth or an organ under the guitar that you're playing. So, oh, wow fills out because you know it's just me playing so it definitely fills it out so i've been playing around a lot with it and just getting ready for the super bowl you know having my friends over um i'm i'm going all in for san francisco and uh just recovering from laughing my butt off at larry david Uh, pretty pretty funny that is cool boss pedals were always like the most fun to stomp on i don't know why there's just something yeah yeah obviously because i had a uh what was it the i had a saw a boss distortion pedal what was it dts yeah i remember one that. or something like that was it dod or dts it was a dod too i forget that one. Oh, um maybe it was dod maybe but they were good i remember those pedals um oh it was a ds one i had a ds one okay. um I I think I bought that thing for like 40 bucks. And Oops. no, back really? back in like 1996 or whatever and and now these pedals are going for like 170, 230. Yeah, yeah, the, the synth pedal was 299. Now, I I do all my shopping on Musician's Friend, which are actually owned by Guitar Center, go figure. But if you call them directly, they'll start knocking prices off. I mean, they knock off the price right away if you order it online you get what you get but if you call them off okay. say hey what can you do for me they're like ah, i'll give you 10 percent off i'll give you this i'll give you that so nice but that's kind of cool so i ended up getting it 299 i think i got it for like 180 oh cool because yeah, i had like a couple different coupons and i had rewards points all that kind of fun stuff so i am so old that <laughs> i man i just I don't know if I could bring myself to spend $200 on a pedal like that now, just knowing that I paid, you know, 40 for it 30 years ago, which is yeah. ridiculous. I understand things go up, but I am just a crotchety old man. And I think of the return, like, you know, like, like when I spent two grand a couple of years ago on my, my new PA system, I was like, Ugh, but I had that paid off by the end of the summer. So, right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking of course i did that last year i, I spent money i didn't have and then i lost a big gig so uh 
my my return on my investment if i did that would be having to listen to myself make really shitty music <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it would be like torturing myself after i spent 200 dollars on something i shouldn't have i've heard you play and yeah that's pretty accurate right. yeah <laughs> Very Actually, i haven't heard you play in like what 10 15 years but uh, so the amount of practice i had then is yeah. about on par today so <laughs> i i've I'd be about the same. Okay. All right. That's good. Speaking of me being old and yes. crotchety, I went to pick up my prescriptions today because I'm old and I have medical prescriptions. Viagra. Mm -hmm. Ozempic. Yeah. Ozempic. Okay. We're going to sing that song again. <laughs> right. Uh, I go to pick up my prescriptions and first I have to call in my prescriptions, which is ridiculous. It's like... Yeah. The it, it's like someone designed it to, thinking, what could I do to make people who need medicine spend the most amount of time trying to get it? So you have to call in, then you get the answering machine and it goes through all of the COVID protocols that they are now under. So like, I don't know how things are where you, where you live, but where I live, either COVID vaccinations or the decision not to take them um, were available, that that choice was available four years ago. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. why I still have to listen to a minute and a half of COVID protocols today, especially we've, when, when medical providers haven't had to wear a mask in like eight months now. Because their ID de IT department didn't feel like taking the message down or putting a new phone message on. Oh, no, it's been changed. <laughs> oh, has it? It's been changed since then. They just really want to fuck with me. Uh, why do you still have to call in a prescription? That's what I exactly, wondering. exactly. Why do I have I to call in? I haven't called in a prescription in like in like ten years at least. Right. The only way my medical provider, go figure, Penn State Health, uh, will take my prescription is for me to call it in and wait for three minutes to get to the line, where then I have to give my birth date, the prescriptions I want, my wait. phone number, and I say if there's a problem with this please call me. They fill out two out of the three prescriptions. No phone call at all. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go figure why we're talking about this on a stock podcast. I have no idea. That's just the, uh, the thing that's grinding my gears today. Yeah, it's your frustration point, right? Right. Anyway, with that, let's get on to the recap. U.S. economy has shown resilience, potentially entering a no-landing scenario where it remains strong without triggering high inflation, a situation that could be favorable for U.S. stock inflation stabilizes. However, there's concerns that if inflation accelerates, the Federal Reserve might be reluctant to cut interest rates, posing a risk to this outlook. Recent economic data, corporate earnings, and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's comments have influenced market expectations with investors closely monitoring future Fed actions and economic indicators for insight on interest rates and economic health. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good job there. Hey, um, we're not going to lower interest rates. You might be able to expect three within uh, within the next year. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Big help there. 
Thanks, Jerry. To follow up on Boeing, the Federal Aviation Administration is in the midst of reviewing manufacturing processes at Boeing with FAA Administrator Michael Whittaker expressing concerns about the company's safety focus amidst pressures to produce large numbers of planes. Whitaker highlighted that there have been unresolved issues in the past, and the FAA is considering a heightened level of oversight. The review comes after an emergency door panel blew off a Boeing 737 MAX 9 jetliner in Oregon on January 5th, prompting questions about production and quality control at Boeing. Apparent, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> bolts on a door are important. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not laughing at the door flying off the plane. I'm laughing at the, hmm, there might be a need to be really careful in checking out these things in the future. Huh. A bunch of shit went wrong after we called them out on shit going wrong before. And the only thing that has happened is more shit has gone wrong. Yeah, I think we want our planes to not have their doors blow off. Thank you very much. (laughs) Right. You know, what's really important about planes is safety. I'm glad we're figuring this out now. Yes, yes. And Chris Carbonaro with the news. The U.S. labor market began 2024 strongly, surpassing expectations with 353,000 new jobs in January and a steady unemployment rate of 3.7%. Wage growth outpaced predictions, indicating robust consumer purchasing power despite a slight decline in labor force participation and average weekly hours worked. The breadth of employment gains across sectors like professional services, healthcare, and retail suggest a diversifying job market, aligning with Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's description of the labor market nearing normalization without necessitating significant softening for rate cuts. All right. Meta Platforms announced its first quarterly dividend, a move that signals confidence in financial future and opens its stock to a new class of dividend-seeking investors. This initial dividend sets the stage for potential growth and payouts and stock gains, similar to the positive outcomes seen with Microsoft and Apple after they initiated dividends. With three of the magnificent seven tech giants now offering dividends, there's speculation about whether Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Tesla will follow suit given their financial positions and market strategies. That's nice. Did they say the percentage of the dividends? That would be awesome. I mean, (laughs) they're usually pittance. Compared to the price of the stock, it's less than a percentage. Less (laughs) than a percentage. Fractions of percentages. I mean, Facebook is, uh, you know, I don't know how much it is a share. Apple is uh, $170 a share, I'm guessing, off the top of my head. And and dividends for that aren't that high. They're they're small. Yeah, exactly. So reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Nicole Wen, um, was it Wall Street Journal? I forgot already. But anyway, um, had an interesting article about why she is canceling her subscription to Amazon Prime. Is the $139 Amazon Prime subscription still worth it by Nicole Wen? The decision to cancel her Amazon Prime membership was influenced by increased subscription costs and unutilized benefits. Despite Prime's appeal through bundled services like fast shipping, on-demand entertainment, Amazon Prime's costs have risen over time with added fees for services like Whole Foods delivery, raising questions about the subscription's value. 
The introduction of ads in Prime Video and charges for ad-free viewing further complicated the value assessment, leading to personal decision to opt out of Prime, leveraging free standard shipping on necessary purchases instead. Are I mean, you a Prime subscriber? Yes, I am. But that article does definitely um, kind of shine a light on that because I don't use all the features. I use the music mostly, and I use Prime for the for shopping. I don't use the food delivery. I don't use any of those other services. I don't even know how much I'm paying, but this makes me want to look it up between this and all the rocket commercials I've been seeing about, you know, all your subscriptions that you don't even know about has me leaning towards that. Well, don't, don't pay for that. That's ridiculous. And, and, uh, overpriced the rocket thing, just go through your credit card statement and look yeah. at oh, you gotta pay for it. Ah, oh yeah. Gotta pay for it. Yeah. The way, the way that works, the way rocket works is they, uh, they go through and they see how much you're, you're spending on everything and they give you the options to nix the ones that you don't want. Mm -hmm. And then they take a percentage of it for a determined amount of time. Right. So you're, you're paying them when you could just go through your credit card statement and cancel it on your own. Basically it's for lazy people. Okay. I got it. But I, I, I agree with her. I mean, I've canceled mm -hmm. prime before the, the two day shipping is nice, but, I mean, all you need to do is wait until you need $35 worth of stuff, which I always need $35 worth of stuff. Um, I get stuff the, the same day sometimes, though. Yeah, yeah, me too. The video stuff is nice. Um, there's not a Whole Foods close enough to me to take advantage right. of that. And I don't know if I would want to spend whole paycheck on groceries if uh, if it were right. available. And um, there's a lot of services now that you can do that that's not Amazon-based. So it sounds like they're being out. Yeah. Kind of one, kind of. one nice perk is we have gotten like a year and a half of free Grubhub oh, for yeah, food yeah, delivery yeah. because of that. But mm -hmm. I, I barely use that. Yeah. No um, I don't think we would use it at all. If, uh, if my wife wasn't a student and getting student discount pricing. Okay. Makes sense. A Senate hearing intended to address online child safety developed into political theater overshadowing the serious issue at hand. Senators harshly criticized social media executives with suggestions to empower parents through app store controls for downloading apps and monitoring teen activity being discussed. However, the conversation also veered toward removing legal protections for platforms under Section 230, hinting at a preference for litigation over practical solutions to protect children online. Now, this seems like one issue that does sort of uh, unite, you know, left and the right. Uh, common enemy being the evil tech geniuses that are ruining our children, <laughs> et cetera, and so forth. But I could, I could definitely see that. It seems like, you know, having worked in education and seeing the obsessive nature of, of teenagers with social media, um, there has to be some guardrails in place at some point. You know? I agree. Um, I do not have children, but I do have an IT degree. And a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, being at the beginning of podcasting and social media, um, I, I've delved into Section 230 plenty of time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that most legislator later later legislators understand third time's the charm um <laughs> that if you shut down or if you if you remove section 230 
as far as online content is involved, that pretty much breaks the internet. Without Section 230 in place, it makes each provider of content responsible for everything that is on that platform. So things like Reddit, Facebook, YouTube, they have no control over Amazon. They would, they would have to immediately cancel all user uh, provided content. Wow. So uh, everything, everything would have to be moderated because they Mm -hmm. would legally be responsible for every word that is on their site. So you can threaten it, but unless you want to wipe out the majority of business, uh, that would be an extremely foolish thing to do. But I do think that social media unchecked is bad for mental health. Absolutely. And I do not know how I would handle it as a parent. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about <laughs> what you did having children. And, and I mean, we would vaguely monitor it. Um, I think it's gotten worse since my kids were younger. So I, I think it, it's even now, I think I'd be like intimidated compared to like 15, 20 years ago. Like my kids are 24 and 20. So um, we had, as far as time spent on the internet, we had a timer set on our Wi-Fi, which, you know, would shut off at a certain time. So it wouldn't be on up, up late at night and everything smart, uh, but we don't. We and, and with that, you've done more than most parents. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen personally as, as working in schools, I've seen fifth graders, uh, sexting, you know what I mean? Ew. Uh, yeah, I know. So mind blown. That's the kind of thing that, so as a parent, you're always kind of like, you're looking, but you're not looking because you don't want to give them the, uh, Oh my God, you're, you're spying on me, but you're always right. Like, yeah. I didn't hear any F bombs coming from the room. So that's a good sign. But, uh, I mean, it also depends upon your relationship, too. I, my kids were fairly honest. At least I think they were. <laughs> Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell expressed that the strong economy allows for careful consideration regarding when to cut interest rates, emphasizing the Fed's readiness but desire to ensure inflation moves substantially towards the 2% target. Despite recent joint job data suggesting robust economic health, Powell indicated that a March rate cut is unlikely aligning with the general consensus among Fed officials for rate reductions within the year, while also acknowledging the necessity of choosing the right timing for such adjustments. This just sounds like teasing. This has been going on for like the last couple of weeks. I think I might cut some rates. I don't think I'm going to cut the rates yet. Job market's strong. I don't have to cut rates, but I might cut them later on in March. I, mean, I think he's playing the market. I think he's shorting everything and then <laughs> and then saying all this bullshit like, hey, hey, guys, you want to see something funny? Let's, yeah. let's go short the entire stock exchange. Let's watch everything drop. And they're all hooting and hollering and laughing and doing shots. <laughs> Investors are betting on significant interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve in 2024, expecting a total reduction of 1.25% percentage points or more despite the absence of an immediate recession. The speculation contrasts with the Fed's own projections, which suggest fewer cuts. Historical analysis shows that such aggressive easing without a recession is unprecedented in recent decades, except during a mid-cycle easing in the mid-1980s, 
which preceded a major stock market correction in 1987. The scenario underscores the delicate balance the Fed must strike between fostering economic stability and avoiding fueling unsustainable market rallies. Wait, 1987 was a market correction? Yes. Really? Yes. Or is that a euphemism? I thought the damn thing just crashed. Well, I was five. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that's about the same time that Bud Dwyer blew his head off. Yeah, it was around I, a year. Yeah, it was within a year or so. I remember that. Yeah. But I don't remember the market correction. I just wasn't in the stock markets at oh, five years right. old. I, I was actually living up at Penn State at the time. And my sister, who we will, I think, maybe get her on here one time as a guest. She was um, assistant vice president of the trading floor or the options floor at the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. And I remember talking to her after that day. And I remember specifically saying that she does not remember it. She literally blacked out. It was <laughs> so insanely intense and crazy that she doesn't remember it so that's probably that's crazy but i just never thought it was just a correction i thought it was a you know a plummet so that was a that was a good guess on my part bud dwyer died on january 22nd 1987 okay all right so you know what that's been. almost a year after challenger i think it was too because it was a snow day yes it was january 28th i think and i'm at home on a snow day watching the thing blow up yeah oh geez that uh um, that was, yeah, that was January 28th, 1986. Wow. Crazy stuff. I saw that one in school Oof. and, and Bud yeah, Dwyer, yeah. <laughs> Bud Dwyer was on a snow day Yeah, and I, I was home from school watching the news with news. my dad <laughs> and I, I, I remember him pulling the gun out of the paper bag and shooting himself and not only them showing it. But also repeatedly showing it over and over again. So you saw it live. I saw it at the 12 o'clock news on Channel 6. And they even say, oh, what we're going to show you might be disturbing. <laughs> and then they show it. So if you have small children, make them watch it six or seven times in a row. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And do then you, my... do you know the song that that inspired? I knew the story. I can't remember it now, though. Hey, man, nice shot by Filter. Wow. Yeah, because Filter's local, aren't they? Ohio. I'm thinking fuel. Isn't fuel local? Fuel, I, I believe fuel was from Harrisburg. Yeah. No, I no, no. I believe fuel was from Tennessee and relocated to oh, Harrisburg. Really? You can relocate to Harrisburg. I I, I don't know why you would move from well, Tennessee. Tennessee to Harrisburg for the for the uh uh I don't know, uh vast and, and overwhelming uh music industry Six presence. Eight. Yeah, in central PA, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, it says formed in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So I am I am wrong about that apparently. Okay. No, no. Uh, Wikipedia lied. For, it says <laughs> it says formed in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then right below it, what would become fuel was formed in 1989 in western Tennessee. Okay. So but uh I I imagine that they moved to Harrisburg in '93 because of Live's success out of yeah. York, Pennsylvania. Yeah, one of my most despised bands. But uh, I won't <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So some Tesla board members repeatedly felt pressured to partake in drug use with CEO Elon Musk, fearing negative consequences if they refused. Close personal and financial relationships between Musk and the board including shared vacations and investments, raised concerns about the board's independence. 
Yeah. Despite knowledge of Musk's drug use, no steps have been taken to address it with suggestions of rehab for Musk being denied by him publicly. I'm not going to lie. And there are a lot of qualifiers to this. <laughs> okay. If I worked for Tesla and I made millions of dollars by Elon Musk paying me a ridiculous salary like they do, and Elon Musk wanted me to take off work without using PTO, <laughs> I would I would do drugs with him <laughs> based on those preset conditions, working yeah, for Tesla, yeah. making right. multi-millions of dollars, and getting extra time off. Did you see that? You just went like this, and a little thumbs up went up on the screen. That was crazy. I did not see that. Unless I'm, unless I'm hallucinating. That was weird. I swear to God. Uh, you see the playback. You've been doing drugs with Elon Musk, apparently. Apparently so. <laughs> All right. Uh, former President Donald Trump has indicated his intention to restart a trade war with China if reelected, suggesting he may impose tariffs on Chinese goods exceeding 60%. The Washington Post has previously reported that Trump was considering a flat 60% tariff on all Chinese imports, but Trump now suggests it could be even higher. His previous tariffs on Chinese goods in 2018 led to a series of retali retaliatory measures, ultimately culminating in a trade agreement in 2020. Yeah, check in with those soybean farmers, see how they feel. Yeah. Um, do you remember what happened previously when Trump had tariffs on China? Yeah. Didn't we lose all the soybean farms? Well, or is that different? Not all of them. That, that, that was part of it. But um, I don't understand why Trump doesn't understand how basic economics works when he, has a, when he has a degree from the Wharton School of Business. Um, very good school. Right. Um, when, when Trump raised the tariffs on Chinese imported goods, specifically washers and dryers, all that happened was because all of the Chinese washer and dryers were more expensive, GE and all of the other American manufacturers of washers and dryers raised their prices too. So all it did was cost everyone more money. But even in addition to that, doesn't that really more affect the importers and exporters, not the actual citizens? Like not, not the people that he's trying to screw? I mean, yeah, Art, Art Vandalay is definitely going to have a hard time. <laughs> But the, is that why the, he wants to just concentrate on the exporting and not the importing? <laughs> right. But the the American consumer is going to be the one that suffers because ultimately right. they're going to be paying more. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because by today's laws, Trump only has one legal term left. Uh, but all that's going to do is make people pay more money and then have the same gripe that they do right now about inflation affecting their wallet. No, Except it will beat 60% Chinese tariffs mm -hmm. <laughs> affecting their wallet. Right. Andrew Schmidt, an accounting professor at North Carolina University, North Carolina State University's Poole College of Management, ran the number for Mark Zuckerberg's dividends and their tax implications at Meta. Zuckerberg is due to receive $700 million annually in stock dividends. If he received this as a salary, it would result in an estimated $259 million tax bill. 
whereas qualified dividends and capital gains are subject to lower tax rates with a combined rate of 37.1% for federal and state taxes on the meta dividends. The preferred preferential tax rate, excuse me, on dividends benefit upper echelon taxpayers more with households worth at least 1 million, according to a significant portion of qualified dividends. No big surprise there that dividends favor the rich. <laughs> yes, exactly. Gotta have money to make money. So because I'm a whore and I want the short <laughs> for YouTube, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to reiterate this. Mark Zuckerberg's newly annual dividends on the Facebook stock he owns is going to pay him $700 million a year, which he will only pay $167 million because of, of gains in stock, as opposed to the 200 and, and, uh, and whatever million, $260 million that he would have to pay if it weren't for capital gains. Like that would even matter to him, that amount. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're making $700 million, you know, what, what the hell, what's a loss of 33%? Jesus. Yeah. Unbelievable. Economists are divided on when the 30 year old, excuse me, take two. <laughs> Economists are divided on when, sorry. I'll fix it in post. Right. <laughs> Economists are divided on when the 30-year mortgage rate will dip below 6%. Fannie Mae is the most optimistic, expecting it will happen by the end of 2024, while others like Redfin's chief economist and Moody's analytics anticipate it will occur in 2025. The Mortgage Bankers Association predicts rates will fall below 6% in the first quarter of 2025, and Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company's chief economist expects in the second quarter of 2025, primarily driven by factors like inflation and Federal Reserve policy changes. I predict that it will not be below five or six percent for at least five years because I think we've just gotten used to free money and uh -huh. them's the breaks. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at ones now and I, this can't be legitimate. These are saying like 4.9%, but they must be like for 15 year or something like that. Um, Probably. I I saw that now the big trend is trying to buy the mortgage out from the previous owner when you're buying the house. And really? yeah, and, and people are complaining about how it can, by doing it that way, it can take months just to find out that you don't qualify for it. Oh, really? Which, if you don't want to waste purpose. months worth of time, right. then just do it at the 5 or 6%. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, you're always uh, kind of up against it with nowadays people are bidding over to get houses, which is ridiculous. So like, they, they have been. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just like, you can't wait. If you that, that's your house, you're going to take that. You're going to take that shitty mortgage rate rather than save money on the other end, just because you need to get the house right now. Right. Ooh, Fox corporation, ESPN and Warner brothers discovery are collaborating to launch a joint streaming platform focused on sports content. This platform will be available as a standalone app and also as part of a bundled subscription with their existing streaming services like Disney, Hulu, and Max. The platform is set to launch later this year, and ESPN is still exploring options for a strategic partner to enhance its sports content offerings in the streaming space. This is becoming confusing now. All these like companies joining forces to 
to stream it's we were talking about living in the world of consolidation amongst right. streamers um this is one better this is just partnership yeah. i'm a big fan of this i'm tired of paying ridiculous prices just for sports content mm-hmm. and if i can get it all in one shot good partner up yeah giddy up i'm hoping that max expands it because right now i think like on any given night there'll be maybe what one one or two nba games and like one or two nhl games it's not like yeah it's, but i think it has room to grow and they're and they're talking about how that come march or may or whenever they're going to start charging for it is going to be like an extra ten dollars a month or something ridiculous like that i'm not paying that much money i'm like i'm sorry espn plus right now is 10 bucks a month and i can see most of the vancouver canucks games accident investors have found we've already talked about the bolts on the plane i'll do it again anyway Accident investors have found that the bolts securing a panel to the frame of a Boeing 737 MAX 9 were missing before the plane. The panel blew off an Alaska Airlines plane. The preliminary reports from the National Transportation Safety Board revealed that three of the four bolts designed to prevent the panel from moving upward were missing, with the location of the fourth bolt obscured. The incident has raised questions about manufacturing quality at Boeing, and the Federal Aviation Administration is investigating whether proper safety procedures were followed in the manufacturing of parts for the MAX. I am glad that now they are starting to question whether <laughs> whether safety protocols and procedures were in place and followed for Boeing 737 MAX. Well, you know, we got one out of four bolts in the door. I, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I... Man, I'm I'm starting to get the suspicion that Boeing planes just might not be that quality controlled. I'm starting to think that too. I'm starting to don't don't ask me why. I just got this. Yeah. I just got this. It's fear. not the past five years of mishaps and oopses. Documentaries on planes going nose first, you know. That, that yeah. Which was a fantastic documentary, by the way. Um anyway, moving on to cannabis stock news. Cannabis stocks surged as Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, our boys, proposing legalizing adult-use cannabis to potentially generate $250 million in tax revenue. I think it would be more than that. The governor suggested the establishment of legal cannabis businesses by the state legislature as part of the upcoming budget. If approved, Pennsylvania would become the 25th state to allow adults over 21 to buy cannabis, potentially boosting revenue and preventing the loss of businesses to neighboring states with cannibal with legal <laughs> legal cannabis programs. It's one of those days. That's smoke weed, eat your neighbor. <laughs> well, it's better than smoke your neighbor, eat your weed. <laughs> well. um, no, but I thought the 250 million in revenue would just come from Delco. I mean, uh, <laughs> all kidding aside, it's been different because it hasn't been since you've lived down here. It hasn't been um, medically cleared. But you're driving down Baltimore Pike at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's just a quick cloud of smoke. Oh, it's everywhere, a- everywhere I drive in this state, all I do is smell weed. Yeah, it's crazy. It's that much. I mean, I never dreamed a day like this would happen. So I don't have much hope for this um, just because Wolf, when he was governor, tried to legalize weed in 2020 and that went nowhere. Don't we have a majority now? I, I don't know who has what. Uh, I don't follow it that closely, but um, I mean, Shapiro has crossed the aisle more than than Wolf's mm-hmm. administration did. So there might be support there. Also, Republicans in the state now might want a piece of the action, so yeah. um, they might get behind it. And and now, 
Uh, weed isn't a big faux pas in, in government anymore with, what, right. 37 states out of 50 having some form of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that Tilray, Cureleaf, uh, GTI, and a bunch of other stocks went up based on this news, mm-hmm. which I don't understand why that would happen because Pennsylvania already has medical marijuana. I don't know what recreational would do for all of those companies, especially with a couple of them being Canadian. Uh, but you know, whatever, I'll take it. Uh, I, I still have shares in some of those companies. Well, just imagine Pennsylvania is such a big rectangular state. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're going to fill all those spaces up with legal dispensaries and instead of just a medical one. So the money's going to be there. Yeah, I mean, this state does have 13 million people in it, so mm-hmm. that that is, uh, I mean, I don't expect all 13 million people to smoke weed. They're a no, bunch of children. 12, 12 and a half. But. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it would create a lot of revenue. New data from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York reveals that consumer debt is on the rise, with car loan and credit card delinquencies increasing. While many consumer finances remain stable, lower-income houses and younger individuals are falling behind, causing concern among researchers. Credit card balances and car loans are particularly worrisome as delinquencies continue to climb above pre-pandemic levels, signaling increased financial stress, especially among younger and lower-income households. I don't understand why people would default on car payments when the average car payment is over $700 now. Wait, is it really? Oh, yeah, the average car payment right now is over 700 I have never personally had a car payment over like $250. No, 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 I'm lying. My current Volvo is like $300. Uh-huh. The last two vehicles I bought, which were new, uh, also pre-COVID though, uh, the last two vehicles I bought, the car payments were three fifty on, and those were new. Right. Uh, car prices did go up over the pandemic, even for used cars. Yeah, people are like people are over overspending though on that. Seven hundred dollars used to be a truck. Yeah. But what are they buying? They're buying crap that looks cool. I, I don't know what they're buying. Okay, so according to bank rate, the average car payment is $726 a month. The same with that. That also comes from Nerd Wallet, which I find more credible. Yeah, so $726 a month for new cars and $533 a month for used cars. I'm even below the used car. Right. Yeah, what are you what are you getting for that? Like I I fear. I know. You're what, I, what used well, like 2022, right? <laughs> right. That's right. What, I fear the day that my car dies cuz I have like 135,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get another 100 out of it, but we'll see, but uh I I am I just do not want any part of this at all. I no. I have no idea what I will buy because I will not have a $700 car payment. Hell no. I've that's one thing I'm, I'm dead set against. I mean, I even, I bought my, my Volvo and, and I don't sound like a jerk, but I got a Volvo, but I bought mine during the, uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it was right around the time that there were the shortages of, of, of used cars and everything. And I still ended up getting a really good deal. You just have to look. And like I said, my payment, I always pay over. So I'm thinking I'm paying like two fifty a month now, but the actual payment was like three Oh seven. 
but I always pay more so that the, the payment is less. I, I have, never want I never want a loan to go its full term. I've never had a car loan that lasted its full term. It's right. Absolutely. <laughs> I have been really good at buying cars, and I will talk about the last time I bought a car on the after show. Sure. Um, but I um the next time my car dies, I'm going to pay you to car hunt for me because you are <laughs> exceptional at it. Like you should be given an award for your ability to find cars at the prices you do. Uh, it's, it's tenacious tenacity. No, I don't know why. Maybe it's just luck. <laughs> Moving on. Adam Newman, the former CEO and co-founder of WeWork is reportedly exploring a bid to regain control of the company after being forced out five years ago. He is partnering with third point hedge fund firm led by Dan Loeb and other investors in this effort. However, WeWork's management has been cool to Newman's interest and has not provided him with the information he would need to submit a bid, according to Newman's letter. Let it go, dude. Five years. She's not calling you back, man. <laughs> um, do you know the history of WeWork? Uh, we talked about this a while ago, I think. I don't. Yeah, know we that. did. Like th this guy started WeWork, got a bunch of people to invest money in it. Like SoftBank, I think, put either 11 or 14 billion dollars into this company and then they forced him out uh and, and bought him out for like a billion dollars and and now they're at the point where they're in bankruptcy right and he's trying to buy it back at a discount price like it it is unbelievable that this guy is either the biggest dirt bag in business or a certified genius. <laughs> Sometimes that can overlap. I'm sure. Could be both. Could be both. But I mean, like it is unbelievable. This guy's ability to just make fuck loads of money. Mm -hmm. Ford motor reported better than expected earnings for the fourth quarter with an operating profit of $1.1 billion from sales of $46 billion of merchandise the automaker also provided a positive outlook for 2024 expecting to generate an operating profit between 10 billion and 12 billion dollars despite a full year loss of 4.7 billion in its ev division ford remains committed to electric vehicles and aims to develop next generation evs that'll be profitable within a year of launch the company's results and guidance suggest a positive outlook for the entire u.s car industry in 2024, despite headwinds such as high interest rates and increased labor costs. Hmm. Uh, I've, I've liked Ford stock for a while. Um, I continue to buy Ford stock because they have decent dividends for a very low price mm -hmm. uh, of entry. Um, th this, uh, this reaffirms my commitment to buying Ford stock. <laughs> Well, if we follow, if you stick around a little bit longer on the show, you'll see that that might be one of my picks. So, um, yeah. yeah, we can, we can talk about that then. <laughs> and there are no regulation changes. So record scratch. <laughs> well, uh, we can talk about last week's game though. Uh, picks for last week, intuitive surgical. Both of us went no Walt Disney Company, you did yes, I did no. How did that perform? I have no idea. 
<laughs> All right. Good to know. <laughs> Let's look now. Let's do it live while we're in the middle of our show, shall we? All right. You look up Disney. I'll look up the other one. This is called show production. Yes. Show business. So, uh, surgical, intuitive surgical went up about 11% over the past week. All right. Well, Disney's been up 2.9% in the last five days. Okay. So Disney's going up. Uh, BP, you didn't know. I didn't know. That went up 2.13%. We both said no on Shopify. I know they just, they had a good, really good day recently, and then they dropped 5% the other day. That went up 0.3%. Okay. And you said no on Union Pacific. Yes, I did. And I said yes. And Union Pacific performed uh, up 1% over the past week. So I made a modest amount of money. Furthering that lead. (laughs) Furthering that lead. Yeah, you, uh, I, I saw that you forgot to add stocks again. So, uh, that, that calls for this song. I thought I added Disney. I didn't add Disney. Wow. All right. That brings us to our segment for the game. Welcome to Roll Them Dice, the segment where you and I pick five random publicly traded companies and on a whim decide whether or not we are going to add them to our virtual stock market portfolio for a chance to win the champion of the universe of the stock market. This week, we are going to start off with International Business Machines Corporation, IBM. Chris Carbonari, yay or nay? I say yay. All right, you say yay. Today, uh, I would say that they cost enough money, but I don't want to miss out, and I have the fear of missing out. I am going to ride your coattails and say there is a chance. You're trying to protect that lead. Aren't that you? they could go up. <laughs> yes, I will. I will go up or go down with you. <laughs> Costco Wholesale Corporation, one of my favorite stocks. I do regularly invest in this with real money. And I will say yes, because I I like Costco. You say yes. I will say yes, uh, just because I continue to put real money into it. But I do find it disturbing that they have gone up $200 Uh in share price uh, within, I want to say, a month. Really? Um, Let me double check that, because no. It, it, within six months, that their stock has gone up one hundred and fifty-two dollars. Okay, so that that is incredible for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Next era, Energy Inc. I'm going to pass. Don't any know any particular reason? Don't know enough about it. I am going to say yes, but uh, I do need to find out what they are before <laughs> before moving along. Next era, Energy is. I do wish this were a little more produced so we didn't have to do this on the fly because... uh, Well, we do have real jobs during the day. Well, we wouldn't be able to 
pick it r- at random if we knew what they were. Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a dork. Oh, what is this company? I cannot see. Next Era Energy is an American energy company with about 58 gigawatts of generating capacity. Revenues over $18 billion in 2020 and about 15,000 employees throughout the U.S. and Canada. So I'm I'm fine with my pick. Okay. Pencil Holdings Limited. Well, it's an investment holding company principally involved in the provision of value-added services. I have no idea what that means. I'm going to say no. I did. I, the name is familiar, though. The name has been around for the last five years. But you should not be looking up before you make your choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get a head start. I so is that yes or no? No. Okay, I am saying no as well. Uh, Tencent Holdings Limited is a Chinese multinational technology conglomerate and holding company headquartered in uh, Shenzhen. It is one of the highest grossing multimedia companies in the world based on revenue. All right. All right. Okay. Bristol Myers Squid Squib Company. Nah. Can you tell me what a squib is? Um, it's got tentacles and it's <laughs> pointy and whales eat them. No, I don't. <laughs> I am saying no as well. Um, looks like it's going to be relatively uh, even think, this week. I think of Bristol Myers as like a out of date, like decrepit company. I don't know why. Bristol Myers Squib Company. Is it because they have the name, the word squib in their name? Bristol Myers Squib Company, doing business as Bristol Myers Squib, is an American multinational pharmaceutical company headquartered in Princeton, New Jersey. BMS is one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies and consistently ranks in the Fortune 500 list of U.S. corporations. All right, then. Yeah, so... um, how about that? <laughs> I'm still saying no. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to panhandling for money. Plug. We asked for money. Okay. Do we have music? Do we have music for me to beg for money? Or we're not? Sure. I well, I forget. I just can't remember. Ah, uh, here we go. Uh, hey, stock gamblers. Ready to ante up on your investing journey? Join us on Patreon. As a Patreon, you'll get exclusive access to bonus episodes where we dive deeper into the risky, high-reward world of stock market gambling. That's not all. You'll also be part of our close-knit community where we share extended shows and behind-the-scenes content. Plus, your support on Patreon helps keep the podcast running and the investment ideas flowing. Don't miss out. Become a Stock Gambler's patron today, and let's ride that roller coaster. Let's ride that market roller coaster together patreon.com backslash stock gamblers i ask you this what what other podcast has talked about elon musk and board members doing drugs pennsylvania possibly going legal and recreational marijuana and uh the hassles of trying to get legal drugs through your doctor (laughs) so if you find all of these to be entertaining hilarious or uh or insightful in any way, consider helping us out with financing this show. Yep. Won't hurt. I promise.
And now we'll check in on the experts and analyze their picks. Chris Carbonara, Motley Fool, what do you got for us? Our buddies down over at Motley Cruels, they are going full in on PayPal Holdings again. PayPal Holdings is showing resilience in its financial performance despite a falling stock price. With impressive growth in key metrics like sales, total payment volume, and adjustment earnings per share, the company's CEO, Alex Chris, is implementing bold initiatives to enhance PayPal's platform and bring it back to its roots. PayPal is also leveraging artificial intelligence with new innovations aimed at improving user experiences and boosting marketing efforts. However, there are challenges, including competition from other payment providers and potential inefficiencies in handling buy now, pay later services. Despite these challenges, though, PayPal's commitment to AI investment and its attractive valuations make it a potentially promising investment for those who like buying stocks at the moment. So it may not be suitable for income focused investors due to the lack of dividends. Checking in on Barron's, Barron's recommends Chef's Warehouse. Despite rising food prices, Chef's Warehouse, which supplies specialty foods to high-end restaurants and luxury venues, continues to thrive due to sustained spending by affluent diners. The company's aggressive expansion through acquisitions has significantly grown its market share, albeit impacting profit margins due to the lower margins of newly acquired entities. However, a strategic shift toward integrating these acquisitions and enhancing profitability is expected, positioning Chef's Warehouse for strong future growth and making it an attractive pick for investors. I have never heard of this company. Neither have I. I guess it might be one of those inside things that if you're in the industry, you know of them. (laughs) If you're in the know, you're in the know. There's what we know. We don't know. What we don't know, we don't know. All right, coming on to our own picks because we are smart. S M R T. Oh, yeah, this is smart. My first pick, it's funny, it has nothing to do with what we talked about earlier, I swear to God. But my first pick is an old American favorite. I'm going with Ford. Yes, Ford, that Ford. You may be asking why. Really, it's simple. I recently saw a 2024 Mustang Mach E. I really thought it was a good-looking vehicle. It was the first time I've ever seen an electric Mustang. Excuse me. And even though it's an SUV, it's not as obnoxious-looking as the Porsche uh, Cayenne. I think it's a pretty cool-looking car. George would disagree. But I was impressed. I thought it looked really cool. And the soccer and mom and me just loved it so much. I figured it's been a long time since I looked at Ford stock. So 12 bucks a share. It could be a good set-it-and-forget-it kind of a buy. Set-it-and-forget-it. little Ron Popeil reference there. So now for my second pick, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to spell it out, VICI Properties Incorporated, VICI, VICI Properties Incorporated. This company owns 54 gaming and entertainment properties, including my favorite casino, the Borgata. And I'm not much of a casino gambler. I am a stock gambler, of course, but I'm willing to gamble on this one. It's a fairly cheap stock. And with summer coming, I know it's February, but I really need summer right now. I am actually looking to hit AC a few times, and George, you're welcome to come along with me. We're going to go paint the town red and go to the Borgata. Hell, they even have non-gaming types of businesses there. They own Great Wolf Lodges as well. So I'm going for my second pick with the VC Properties. Back to you, George. I will most certainly join you for the casino uh, time in Atlantic City. 
Uh, I agree with your pick on Ford. I am not a fan of the way that the Mustang Mach-E looks. I think that it destroys the uh, integrity of the Mustang brand to begin with. All right, all right. But I guess people don't buy cars anymore, so it makes sense. But I don't know why they couldn't have named it, I don't know, the Ford Stallion or... Well, any any other type of horse, you know, like, <laughs> I would avoid that one, but yeah. Oh yeah, um, I the Clydesdale. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the Ford. Uh, I really enjoy owning enough Ford to reinvest dividends. I'm a big fan of of dividends um, and, and reinvesting them. That's a good pick for me. Uh, for me. Walmart's announcement of a three-for-one stock split aligns with its strategy to make sure purchases are more accessible, reflecting the company's steady growth and plans for future. Meanwhile, Celsius Holdings, after its recent stock split, faces a cautious outlook due to its high valuation amidst rapid growth in the energy drink market. While Walmart's split and strong fundamentals present an attractive buy opportunity, investors might consider waiting for more favorable entry point in the Celsius, given its recent performance and premium valuation. I flubbed this a lot. <laughs> um, I have two companies in here. This was obviously meant for something else, but Walmart is my pick. Walmart is going to do a three-for-one stock split. Right now, their stock is about... 150 $160 a share. So uh, that will bring it down to about $60 a share. Uh, Walmart, their management is very um, enthusiastic about average employees being able to afford single shares of the company that they work for. So mm -hmm. they are going to split this down to about 60 bucks a share. I think now is the time to buy uh, for a long-term long -term hold because it will eventually probably go back up. Nice. Do they Despite, pay dividends? I'm sorry. What's that? Do they pay Des dividends? Uh, yes, they do pay dividends. Nice. Despite a recent downturn in Peloton stock price following its financial second quarter earnings report, city analyst Ronald Josie remains optimistic, maintaining a buy rating with a lowered price target of $8. He notes positive trends such as stabilizing uh, subscriber base, reduced customer churn, and increased engagement, while Peloton faces challenges, including uncertain growth in paid app subscribers and tough macroeconomic environment. Some analysts see potential for a turnaround with new initiatives and products. Um, I looked at this stock after Peloton had one of their worst stock price days. And I believe right now they're at about $4 a share. Really? Um, yes, they're as of right now on Tuesday evening, they're at four thirty-eight a share. Uh, I am surprised that they were not forced to sell because about a year ago, even less than a year ago, they were talking about potential buyers might be Apple or a bunch of other companies. Uh, I'm I'm really surprised that they were able to squeak it out and maintain their independence, but I, I think at 4.38 a share, even though they're on hard times, that this is probably um, undervalued. Wow! Do they have any anything major coming out? Major product lines coming out? No, I I think that they're probably at the point where they don't have a lot of capital. Mm -hmm. um, 
and uh, I, I only know of them having two products, uh, their bikes and their treadmills. Uh, I believe both had ha- have had a significant number of recalls, but uh, really, really the uh, the value in the company that I see is their subscribership. Um, I, I believe last time I checked, they were at $30 for a subscription per month to use their services to have people yell at you while you exercise. And they're the people that use them are pretty obsessed with it. I mean, they're they fanatics. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Good pick. Yeah. So, uh, for you, it's PayPal and VC properties. V yes. And for me, it's, uh, uh, Peloton and Walmart, Walmart Celsius. <laughs> yes. Walmart Celsius, <laughs> Walmart, no Celsius, Walmart Fahrenheit. That will do it for this week on Stock Gamblers. If you're a patron, hang around. We are going to have an after show where we will talk about the band live and car dealerships. Curb your enthusiasm, why not? Curb your enthusiasm, that too. Yeah, whatever, whatever floats our boat. Thank you for joining us on Stock Gamblers. Stock Gamblers is hosted, written, and produced by Chris Carbonara and George Owl. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters like Don Riom. You make this show possible. To write us, you can email us at stockgamblershow at gmail.com. Visit our redone website at stockgamblers.net. And you can find out more information about our show at stockgamblers.net, including where you can subscribe to our podcast and where you can provide a one-time donation. If you find value in our show, please consider joining our Patreon for just $5 a month. Just $5 a month. A cup of coffee for each of us. You can help support us and gain access to our bonus content as well. Test your stock skills by playing against us in our virtual stock market exchange. Thanks for listening and keep gambling. This has been a Winning Moon production.